let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 15. If you're visiting with us today, as you're standing, there is an outline. If you receive one of the bulletins, and you can follow us along uh, in the outline there. And, of course, around here, when it comes to being a part of a Bible-believing church, we place great emphasis on the Word of God. And uh, this month, we've been focusing on reaching the lost before it's too late. Couldn't have thought of a more appropriate song than People Need the Lord this morning. And he's still the answer for every problem in life. And I trust and I pray that you know him as your Savior today. And if you're visiting or you're listening by way of live stream, this would be the day that God says today is the day of salvation. Don't put off the Lord another day. I'll tell you, I got saved almost 37 years ago, and uh, it's been it's been a, the greatest life. Now, I've let the Lord down along the way, but God has been so faithful and so good, and I can't imagine going through life without the Lord. And so I hope that you are saved this morning. But Brother Peter talked about he's the open door, <clears throat> and I, I got to thinking, you don't have to turn there, but... Last week I was sharing with some folks and I was talking about sometimes when we witness to people and we talk to people about the Lord, there's many places you can go in the Bible and you can talk to them. And of course, this entire month we've been covering uh, magnifying soul winning. Today's message is just simply entitled Sent Ones. That's, that's the name of the message. We are sent by the Lord. But as you get to the last book in the Bible, it's called the book of the Revelation, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you know anything about it, it's a tremendous book. Of course, it's very perplexing. I've been saved all these years, and still, it's still a tremendous study trying to understand it. And of course, the person who guides us in truth is the Holy Spirit. But when you get to chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, you come to what are referred to as the letters to the seven churches. Those churches were in a region known as Asia Minor. The world was a much smaller place. It was still the big globe that it is today. But as far as habitation, man had not come to the Americas yet and so on. But when you, when you look at those letters, I believe and many believe that those seven churches are depictions of different ages that we've already seen, and of course, many believe, and I ascribe to it too, that we're in the last of those seven churches, which is the letter to the church of Laodicea. Uh, The word Laodicea means people's rights or people's rule, and you think of the world we live in today, everybody thinks that they're right in their own eyes. You know, everybody wants to sue everybody and on and on and on. Well, when you get to those, the immediate context, in other words, who those letters are to, are to, there were, these were literal churches. The church in Philadelphia, the church in Thyatira, the church in Laodicea and Smyrna and on and on and on. And you can go back and look at them yourself, but What's interesting is when you get to the end of chapter 3 and you get to verse number 20, the Bible actually uh, makes a statement, and I really believe this is uh, one that I, this, I've shared this with many people as I've witnessed to them because I do believe you can make the immediate context to an individual as well as the church. But the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, and you don't have to turn there, but here's what it says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now think about who this is. This is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus loved the church and he gave himself for it. So this church that you're standing in this morning, the church is not a building, it's the people of God. This church is not my church. (laughs) I'm just the pastor. This is God's work. It's the church of the living God, the Bible says. But interesting, in Revelation 3, after all these ages that man has gone through and the church has gone through, the Bible says, Jesus testifies, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now listen to these words. He says in verse 20, 
if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. Now, isn't it sad that the Lord, who purchased the church with his own blood, is standing outside of his church knocking to get in? A lot of, lot of buildings today that call themselves churches, there's, God is not being glorified, God is not being honored. I'm not saying we, you know, we, we've arrived, that we're perfect, that we're firing on all cylinders. Our desire is to honor the Lord. But understand that there are many people like the church in Laodicea that God is not, they haven't asked Him to be their Savior. They haven't put their faith and trust in Him, so in their own individual life, He's standing at their heart's door knocking, asking if He could come in. Now what's interesting is there's two more verses left in Revelation 3, and then then you go to Revelation 4. And the whole scene changes when you get to Revelation 4, verse 1. Because the Bible says after this, after these different ages, the different periods of the church, after the world has gone through what it's gone through, it says, after this I looked and behold a door was open in heaven. In other words, God is saying to us that there's going to come a day, a time, a place where the door will be open in heaven, but it'll be closed here on this earth. I really believe that the time for people to be saved is now. Because there's going to come a day where that time is no more. We need to be faithful in this opportunity God's given us before the door is closed. See, God is the one that opens doors, and God is the one that closes doors. Think about Noah. Remember when he got on the ark? And he got on that ark. Well, who shut the door? God did. And so in your life, even me being here in Florida, you being here today, God opened the door for you to be here. It's no mistake. God has us here. And he wants us to understand we are sent ones. If you have your Bible there in Romans chapter 15, I want you to look at these verses that we're going to use from our, our, our Bibles from the Word of God this morning as our text for the message. Notice beginning in Romans 15 and verse number 18. Paul writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that in from Jerusalem and round about unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. I do pray that you would bless your word, that you would give us understanding, that the Holy Spirit would guide us in truth, and that we would understand our responsibility and the privilege that we have to reach those before it's eternally too late. God, give us a passion and a compassion for those that are lost. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you, Lord, may today be the day of their salvation, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, when you think about being sent, uh, Jesus came from heaven many years ago, over 2,000 years ago, and when he came... Jesus spent about 33 and a half years on this earth. There was a time, and you see the verse there in your outline in John 17, 18, where Jesus was having this conversation with his Father, that would be God. And the the Bible says, he says this to his Father, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. 
So we all know that Jesus left heaven many years ago, came to this earth. We call that Christmas. And Jesus came, the Bible says, to seek and to save that which was lost. He came for the souls of men and women so that they might have eternal life. That was the whole reason that Jesus came. Because there was no other way, the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other. Jesus said, I am the way. That's the only way a person can go to heaven. So Jesus was having this conversation with his father, and he says, as you have sent me, I have sent my disciples out into this world. Sent ones. Now notice also, the Bible tells us in John 20, in verse 21, and the reference here is after Jesus' resurrection. He gave his life on the cross. He rose from the dead three days later. He spent 40 days on this earth before he went back to be with the Father. And while he was with his disciples, notice he says to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so, or just the same way, send I you. Now, you may not think of yourself that way, but understand that's why we're here. is because the Lord has sent us. To those that do not know him. It's our responsibility to tell others about him. And so this past month, the month of October, we have focused our attention on reaching the lost. It's hard to believe that tomorrow, do you find this hard to believe? We turn the calendar to November already. That's amazing. Where is this year gone? But as we look to November, we will also change our focus just a little from reaching the lost to reaching the lost around the world. In other words, we've been talking about reaching people for the Lord here in our Jerusalem, where we live. But God says, I want you to reach those that are all around the world, and that's what we see Paul's ministry was all about. And whether we're at home or whether we're at work or whether we're on a foreign field, Our responsibility, our mission, is to reach the lost before it's eternally too late. Everybody with me this morning? So as we think about this, from Paul's life, from his heart that God gave to him, I want you with me this morning to notice three things that not just Paul, but all of us as sent ones should be be about, all right? Notice the first one is... Sent ones should be fruitful. If you have your Bible there still, in verse number 18 of chapter 15 of Romans, notice again these words. Paul writes, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient, by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of of the Spirit of God. So as we think about what Paul is saying here, he's talking about being fruitful. And being fruitful deals with having a confirmation in our lives to witness. Every one of us as Christians, our lives should be bearing fruit. There should be some evidence and fruit should be confirmed in our lives and through our lives in three different ways. Notice, first of all, fruit is confirmed by a heavenly walk. Paul states his purpose. We just read it, and here it is again. His purpose was to make the Gentiles obedient. And that doesn't mean that Paul was saying, you have to do what I do, or you have to walk this line, or you have to jump through this hoop. Paul wasn't saying, you have to be just like me. Understand that when people do things for us, they're doing it for us. They're not doing it for the right reason, and that is for the Lord. See, Paul could only ask of people, like I as a pastor, I can only ask things of people. I can't make people do things. But the one thing that Paul realized is purpose, and by the way, you and I should also realize, is that people need to obey the Lord. We talked about that earlier just by giving the tithe. That's obeying the Lord. Well, how is this going to happen? Paul was declaring to these Gentiles a message, 
And the message was God's message, and God's message has the power to change lives. That's why our church is a Bible-believing church. A lot of times people will say to me when they'll come, they'll say, wow, you, had, you guys had so much Bible in your message. The last church I was in, I don't know if I heard more than one Bible verse. I don't think you can ever have too much Bible. Because uh, the Bible, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We need God's Word. God's Word changes people's lives. That was the message that Paul was declaring. And as Paul gave that message out and lives began to be changed, it would create within them an obedience to the Lord. People started to obey the Lord, just like Paul. Listen, Paul was not interested in the Lord or the things of God until he got saved. And then God began to work on him internally. Even in Paul's life, he began to see what we call spiritual fruit. And as we see people that God uses us to help them to come to him, those people are considered to be spiritual fruit. Paul talks about Timothy. He calls him his son in the faith. That was spiritual fruit. Notice what Jesus said about it in John 15. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So in our lives, look, there ought to be some evidence of fruit in our lives. Well, how does that happen? It happens by a heavenly walk, but notice it's also confirmed by a heavenly work. Now, Jesus had a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was a man that knew the Word of God, and by that time, it was just the Old Testament. They did not have the old and new like we have today, the full 66 books of the Bible. Paul was a man that in his life, in his ministry, after he got saved, he began to witness firsthand God's working in a person's life. Because three times in the book of Acts, God allows Luke to write Paul's salvation testimony, how he was saved on the road to Damascus. How that he saw a light, he heard a voice, he fell to the ground. There were scales that were over his eyes, and those scales were later removed. And he realized that it was the Lord, and he had been kicking against those pricks, that God was doing a work in his life. Paul had seen firsthand God working in his life. We also see that Jesus then has this conversation. And he has this conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Nicodemus says to Jesus, because Jesus said to him, he said, can a man be born again? Jesus told him, you must be born again. And the man says, can a, can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? Ladies, I'll just let you get a visual right there. Okay. But the Bible says that that which is born of the water is water, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's talking about a physical birth, and it's talking about a spiritual birth. Nicodemus was trying to figure this out. When, the, when Jesus said, ye must be born again, well, that birth, that spiritual birth, is not a physical birth. That's a birth where it actually literally means to be born from above. You see, I was born into this world on September 5th, 1963. But I was born again by the Spirit of God on January 22nd, 1984. You know what that means? I have two birthdays. But you know what that also means? I only have one death day. And that death will be me leaving this world physically. But watch this. If I didn't have that spiritual birthday, I only had one birthday... I would have two death days. You decide. I would much rather spend all of eternity with the Lord. And I want those that I come into contact with also. God says he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, it's, as I think about this fruit being confirmed 
by a heavenly work. Paul says himself here that he would take no credit for people that were saved under his preaching, under the gospel that he gave out. Paul says, I, I'm not, you know, the lives that have been changed, it hasn't been because of me. It's because of God. He was giving all the glory to God. He said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I've planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Later, a chapter later, he says, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus, he says, I have begotten you through the gospel. In other words, how did they become a child of God? Through hearing the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have begotten you by a heavenly work. But notice also that fruit is also confirmed by heavenly wonders. Paul's ministry there in verse 18, it was confirmed, the Bible says, by word and deed. This is a life that actually is matching what is being preached by it. Folks, listen, you can talk the talk, but if you're going to talk the talk, you better learn to walk the walk. A lot of people say, I'm a Christian, but their life doesn't match the message. See, you might not be up here this morning preaching this message, but your life's preaching just as loud as this message is this morning. People are listening. People are watching what you're doing. And the Bible says, look at Colossians 3.17, whatsoever you do, listen, this is for every Christian, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Everything you do, do all for the glory of God. Paul's ministry, it was confirmed by mighty signs and wonders. People, as, as Peter sang this morning, people need to see the Lord. People need to see God's power working in their lives. Do you know that back in the first century, in the days of Paul, and, and really for, for quite some time after that, it was a common, ordinary thing to see and experience the power of God working in their lives. Nowadays, people act like God is dead, that God no longer can do the things that He used to do. Listen, I want to get back in, in my life, and I want to see in our church and in your lives how it becomes a common experience for us to see the power of God working. Look what Paul says in his day in 2 Corinthians 2. Furthermore, he says, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, notice a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Notice the words there. The door was opened of the Lord. God was working in his life, and he was doing it in a wonderful way. The book of Hebrews, many people believe that Paul was also the writer of the book of Hebrews. You may not agree with that, but one thing we do see in Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse 3, the Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first, look at this, at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord. And it was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness. Well, how did he do that? Both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. Look at this, according to his own will. You see, God has always been a wonder-working God, a miracle-working God. God can do that which humanly is unexplainable. And when us, just like Paul, when we proclaim his gospel, guess what? You and I have every right to ask God to accompany the truth that he gives to us with miracles and with wonders. God, do something. Hey, listen, we've been praying for the God beast to have this little kid. And we're asking God to do this, to work with wonders and miracles. And I sure hope they don't name that little boy Kenny. That's all I can say. But I'll tell you this, if God does allow them to have that little boy, it'll be by the mighty power of God. God still wants to work in our day just like he did in Paul's day. Paul's ministry was also confirmed by the power, look at this, of the Spirit of God. 
when Paul preached, when Paul declared, and listen, I, you might be sitting there looking at me going, well, God hasn't called me to preach. If you're a Christian, God wants every one of his children to be declaring, to be telling other people. And when we declare the truth of his message, it should be accompanied by the power of God because only God's power can change a sinner. I love to see it time and time again, not only in the Bible, but in, in people that I've known. Folks, listen, nothing will ever be accomplished by our own flesh. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah said this, This is the word of the Lord undeservable, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We need God's spirit and his power. And the question this morning is, like Paul, will you sell out to God so that God's power might rest upon you? See, we, look, we need, this world needs, God wants us to be fruitful. But notice, watch this, not only to be fruitful, we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful. Well, in verse 19, look at it. He says, through many mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, so that... From Jerusalem and round about Elycrium, he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, when you think about being faithful, it's talking, Paul says in verse number 19, he says, I've made a commitment to God to be a witness. I mean, how will people get saved unless there's a preacher? Someone has to, you remember the, the eunuch that was coming away from the city of Jerusalem and he was in his chariot and he had gotten his hands on a, a portion of the book of Isaiah and he was trying to make some sense out of it. God, by his Holy Spirit, sent Philip to this eunuch and, and he says to the eunuch, understandest what thou readest. And the eunuch said, how can I except some man should guide me? And the Bible says Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Christ. Listen, the man was already there. He was already reading about the Lord. And look, we have to be faithful in this day. Look, the defections that from the work of the Lord far outweigh the enlistments in God's work. Jesus' one prayer was for laborers that there would be more laborers go out into the harvest fields. We know we're living in a time, unlike any other time I've ever seen, where no one wants to work. That's why we don't have certain commodities. Because nobody wants to unload it. Nobody wants to drive it to the stores. Nobody wants to unload it and put it in the stores. We're living in a... Everywhere you go, you see signs hiring. Everywhere. There's a shortage of laborers. What can I say in God's work? There is a shortage of laborers. People that would roll up their sleeves for the Lord. Notice, make a commitment to Christ's mission. Paul did exactly, listen, he did exactly what God asked him to do. Where do we see that? In the book of Acts, chapter 1, in verse number 8, the verse is right there in your notes, and I want you to see it. God says, but ye shall receive power... My power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. God says, I, look, the whole reason that I saved you and I've left you here is so that you could be witnesses both at the same time, the word means there, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, which is around Jerusalem, and in Samaria, which is around that, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In other words, we need to be witnessing for the Lord everywhere we go. We say, well, how does that work? How can I be here and be witnessing for the Lord in Tanzania? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that's where missions comes in. Giving to missions, praying for missionaries. It's because as we give, they go. And we're able to reach people in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But we have to be committed to Christ's mission. The question is, are you? Are you committed to what God has given to each and every one of his children? A commitment sometimes means that you and I are going to be inconvenienced. 
I see it sometimes. We go out every Saturday, and any of you are welcome to come and be a part of it. I see sometimes on Saturday people show up, and as they come, it's raining outside, and they might get wet. Sometimes you go out, and you might get a blister on your foot from a shoe rubbing you while you're walking up and down the streets of our area. might get a door slammed in your face. It might be, I don't think it's ever humid here, but it might be humid. You know, sometimes you might be inconvenienced, but just think of what you're doing, what you're a part of. Last time I checked, Jesus went to the cross for us. They, they say, and I don't know how accurate the statistic is, they say that Paul, and you understand transportation back then, they say that Paul, he went everywhere witnessing for the Lord, and they estimate that Paul traveled over 1,500 miles in his life for the Lord on foot or by sea. 1,500. Jesus never traveled more than 60 miles, but everywhere Jesus went, he went on foot. Very few times was he on maybe a beast of burden or something. There, there's a commitment there that, that just like Jesus, just like Paul, Everywhere we go, we need to witness for the Lord. But the problem today is that the majority of Christians think that it's another man's responsibility, it's another person's work to go out and be sent by the Lord. Can I say that every one of us are sent ones? We need to be committed to the Lord's, the Lord's mission. Notice we need to be committed to Christ's message. Paul, as he went out, he, he had a message to preach. You know what's amazing is the message Paul preached was the same message Jesus preached, which was the same message John the Baptist preached, which, by the way, just happens to be the same message that we're preaching today. The message never changes. And Paul decided he was going to give his entire life to that message. Everywhere he went, he preached it. Notice 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For though I preach the gospel... I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. As a Christian, there's not a more precious message that you can take to someone else than the fact that Jesus loves them and Jesus gave his life for them so that they can have eternal life. That's the precious message of the day. But if we don't share that message, listen, we're no different and no better than those lepers that the Bible identifies in 2 Kings in the Old Testament. Notice their testimony. testimony. They said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. Listen, the month of December, everybody's talking about Christmas, Christ, good tidings, peace on earth. Listen, why can't it be that way 12 months out of the year? Because Jesus came, and he's, he's here for everyone. doesn't matter what month it is. But can you and I, can you and I say someday that we, like Paul, have fully, look at this, fully preached the gospel? We have a message to tell the nations, but are we telling it? See, we, we have to be fruitful if we're sent ones. We need to be faithful. But watch this. We need to be focused. We're living in a day where so many people have lost their focus as a Christian. What are we talking about? We're talking about a concentration to witness, a concentration. Look what the Bible says here in verse 20 again. Paul says, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. So as we think about this focus, listen, there's nothing dull, boring about living a life full out for the Lord. We need to be like Paul and have a concentration, notice first of all, on new frontiers. The Bible says he uses this word that he strived. The Bible talks about striving for the mastery. It's talking about ambition. 
Don't, don't misunderstand. Paul was not trying to climb a corporate ladder. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself or etch something so that he could be remembered. As a matter of fact, just like John the Baptist, Paul was a man that became very humble in his life, in his ministry. But Paul was interested, the Bible says here, in going places where no one had gone before, talking to people that had never heard about the Lord before. Uh, I'm always glad to see people walk in the doors of our church. Uh, I can honestly say anyone and everyone is welcome here. doesn't matter what your background, what you look like. I'm serious. I, I know of churches that, that people come and they, they don't feel welcome. And guess what? When they don't feel welcome, they don't come back. But last time I checked, Jesus loved everyone. He sat down with sinners and publicans. He loved everyone. We, we ought not to judge one another. We ought not to look down our nose on other people. But sometimes people will come in the door and I'll get to know them, maybe after church or maybe, maybe uh, spend a little time, maybe uh, go out to lunch or whatever and get to know them a little bit better. And we've done this with some of you. And a lot of times I'll, I'll just say to people in conversation, you know, have you, what, what types of churches have you gone to before or were you attending a church in this area or whatever? And sometimes people might say, well, we've gone to this church and this church or whatever. And now, now, don't misunderstand. If somebody comes and they, they tell me that they've been going to a certain church, that's, that's, that's a church that might have different doctrinal beliefs based on the Bible, then I'm probably going to sit down with them and talk with them and love on them and try to help them and show them what the Bible has to say and so on. And it's still up to them to decide if they want to be a part of that or not, and that's ultimately their decision. And I'm going to love them and, and, and not think ill or anything like that. But if I get somebody that comes in to our church and, and, and after a while I, get, I find out that maybe they were, they're attending another Bible-believing church. Understand what I just said there? Another church that believes the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, you know, like, like here we are, we're in South Florida. I get so tickled sometimes. We were just up in the state of Georgia. They think they're in the South. This is South. They're not in the South. But if you've ever been in that part of the country, they call it the Bible Belt. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And most of those areas, most of those states and cities, there's a church on every corner. And what happens is, is that oftentimes churches fill up with people they maybe got their nose out of joint at the church across the street, and they just walked across the street and started coming to this church, all right? Now, guess what? If there were problems at that church, there's going to be problems at this church because there's no perfect church. I, I, I hate to bust your bubble, but we're not a perfect church either, okay? There's no perfect church, no perfect pastor. But sometimes people will come. Now, listen to me, and I mean this. Most of you, I've never said this. But if somebody comes here and they're attending another church that believes the exact same thing that the Bible teaches, and they tell me they've been attending such and such church, here's what I'll do is I will, I will call their pastor, and I will say to them, to him, I will say, I just wanted you to know that so-and-so was in our services today. You say, Pastor, you do that? Yes, because there's a biblical principle that as God brings people to a church, that a church is a body, and that I'm the under-shepherd of this church, he's the chief shepherd, and as people come, then listen, those people that God places here, I am to feed them, I am to guard them, I am to protect them by God. But if they come here from another church, they're still a part of that church. Are you guys with me this morning? And so, look, we as a church are not in the sheep-stealing business, as they would call it. So I'm not interested in building this work, God's work, off of another church. You know why? Because there's all kinds of people in our area that have never heard the truth. So what I want to do, like Paul was saying, is I want to go to those people that have never heard. Paul says, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to go there uh, where people have already heard. I want to go to somebody, and I think every day, every one of us come across people that have never heard about the Lord. And so sometimes we need to concentrate on new frontiers. Sometimes we need to concentrate on new foundations. Everywhere Paul went, he did the same thing. 
He was in the business of starting new works. Here's what Paul's pattern was. Watch this. Search the Bible. Here's what you'll find. Paul would come into a town. He would start preaching the gospel. People would get saved. He would establish a work, and then he would go on to the next town. Paul did that everywhere he went. That's how all the churches in the New Testament of your Bible were established. Paul says, I don't want to build on somebody else's foundation. He says, our business is God's business, and that is to reach the lost in the name of Jesus Christ and to seek to bring them to him. And we are, just like Paul, we're to help people come to the Lord. So Paul says, look, we need to understand that focus should be on new frontiers, on new foundations, on new faces. Again, Paul mentions in verse 21, and we can see how the Lord had burned in Paul's heart the message of the gospel. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. For this I do for the gospel's sake. Now, I've had people take these verses and totally twist them around. I don't believe that Listen to me, I don't believe that Paul ever went into a bar and ordered a beer and bellied up to the bar so that he could win somebody to Christ. I don't believe Paul ever did that. When I study the scriptures, I believe that Paul never compromised the gospel, the truth. He did, look, as we see in these verses, he did try to put himself in the same, uh, in the, in the same shoes of those that maybe are different. He tried to understand. He did this for one reason, so that the door, the gospel door would be open so that he could witness, that he could talk to them. And the whole while, Paul did not regard the rich. Paul did not avoid the poor. Paul did not see himself better than other people. Notice what he did say in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. How many of you could say that this morning? Because of God's grace, we are saved this morning. Notice, and his grace was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but as I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So Paul was saying it's all because of the grace of God. Paul was focused on winning the loss, and you and I, we too are recipients of God's grace. And you and I need to have the same focus. So here's the question as we close this morning. Are you doing everything in your power with God's help to reach the lost? Most of you maybe have heard the name Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was mightily used of God. Fanny Crosby was blind. Uh, she Doctors had given her some medicine when she was very young and it took her eyesight away, an amazing life that Fanny Crosby lived many years ago. And one of the stories that goes with Fanny's life was back in 1869. That's how long ago it was. Fanny was inspired as she made a trip to the New York City mission, and she met these young men that were in this mission, and she called them her boys. And the story, her testimony was, was she was concerned over their spiritual well-being. And Fanny ended up finding her way somewhere, and she sat down with some paper and a pen. And with no eyesight, she wrote the words to the song that we sing that's called Rescue the Perishing. It's an amazing song. In the first stanza, Fanny gives six commands to the Christian. Listen to the words, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Six commands, rescue, care, snatch, weep, lift up, tell. The second stanza, as she continued, shares that Christ is waiting for those who are not saved. And she wrote these words, Though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently, 
He will forgive if they only believe. She wrote a third stanza. In this stanza, she reveals what the sinner's heart is like and what the sinner's heart could become. And she wrote these words. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that were broken will vibrate once more. And she wrote one last stanza. In that last one, she really wrote to all of us, which is what the message is today. It's the Christian's duty to rescue those in trouble. She wrote these words, rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. Most of us know the simple refrain after each stanza. That refrain, although small, it reminds us of our duties to our neighbors, how we are to rescue them. We are to care for them. And here's the words, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Now here's the amazing thing, Fanny was blind. She wrote all those words without having ever seen one sinner. And you and I have eyes. Do we see the world the way Jesus did, the way Fanny did? Do we see them lost in their sin with the eyes that God has given to us? Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. A lot of us remember the story, the true story about the Titanic this massive ocean vessel that was supposedly unsinkable. And we know the great tragedy of that particular day when that ship broke in half and went down. About four years after the Titanic went down, four years after, a young Scotsman rose in a meeting. The meeting was held in Hamilton, Canada. This Scotsman stood up in this meeting, and here's what he said to everyone present. I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting along on a box that awful night, he said the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow on a piece of wreckage near me. He said to me, man, are you saved? He said, my response was, no, I am not. He replied to me, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves pushed John Harper away, but strange to say, brought him back a little later. And here he came towards me again and he said to me, are you saved now? And I said, no, I cannot honestly say that I am. And he said to me again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And with those words, in the darkness of night, he says, I watched as John Harper ran out of strength and he went under the water never to come up again. And his life ended. This man in this meeting, said, there I was alone in the dark, two miles of water under me. Couldn't get those words out of my head. He said, I believed. He says, I am John Harper's last convert. John Harper spent his last moments when he could have been thinking about himself He was thinking about all those around him that were going to perish. And he went from person to person to person 
Are you saved? Are you saved? When's the last time you asked your neighbor, your loved one, your co-worker, are you saved? And if their answer is no, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I really believe that God has sent you and me to that one that's about to go under. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Let's stand to our feet this morning as the piano begins to play. Why don't you come this morning? God's spoken to your heart about maybe someone that you know that is perishing, will spend eternity without the Lord. Why don't you come and pray for them? Some of you maybe need the Lord this morning. If you're not saved, why don't you come and we'll take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that heaven would be your home. Some of you, maybe you'd like to talk to us about you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. You want to discuss that. What does the Bible say? And some of you are saved and baptized, and you're looking for a church home that you can come and worship the Lord, maybe just you or your family, whatever your need is this morning, why don't you come? You hear the song this morning, if they only believe, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for speaking to hearts. Every time I think about you going to the cross and giving your life so that we can have eternal life, I'm reminded of how you came so that all of us can have a home in heaven someday. Lord, I pray that all of us, whoever it is that you put on our hearts, maybe some even here or some listening this morning were thinking about themselves. Lord, if they need to be saved, may they seek one of us out before even leaving here today. May we be thankful like Paul for our salvation. But Lord, I pray that we would reach out to those that are about to go under. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you.